Hey, good to be with you guys. Welcome online friends. I am so excited about next Sunday. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> We've got two really awesome friends coming to this house, and I, I want to tell you, don't miss the morning and the evening. Jennifer Mitchell, we saw her in Quebec, this anointed woman of God, so filled with God's spirit, so on the edge of the kingdom, that when we, when we saw her preaching in Quebec, we said, we've got to have you come to Kingdom City. So she's going to be here, and ladies, don't miss the delight the day before. And then Sunday night, Samuel Robinson, friend of this house, right? He's coming. I was on the phone with him yesterday. He's in Korea. He's doing double conferences, speaking 14 times and ministering, and lots of healings happening, lots of expressions of signs and wonders and words of knowledge. He is coming back with that um, happening in his life. It's going to be great to be with Sammy Robinson next Sunday night, and I just really hope that you bring a friend. Don't let, don't let someone else miss out on this. These are rare moments in God's presence, and I just encourage you to bring a friend with you. And I want to say that people are actually coming to faith here. You know, they really are. I prayed with a young man right over here at the end of the last service. He crossed the line. He was 15. He came up to the front, said, I, I think I'm supposed to give my life to God. He hadn't fully done that ever before, and he crossed that line. Last Sunday night, I was hanging out with the young adults, and there was a 19-year-old guy who crossed the line of faith. Yeah. People are meeting Jesus. So exciting. So exciting. And hey, today is the day of Pentecost, if you didn't know that. Yes. It's the day that we celebrate the Holy Spirit coming upon the people of God, which was a prophetic announcement by Joel, the prophet in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the book of Acts chapter 2. That historical moment defines the church. Jesus predicted it would happen, and he said, don't you leave Jerusalem until you've been endued with power from on high. And the early church gathered there, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they went out and they changed the world. And here's the cool thing about Pentecost. It is still Pentecost Sunday. It's still Pentecost reality. What God started then, he's not stopped. He continues to pour out the Holy Spirit from 2,000 years ago and generation after generation until Jesus returns. We get to receive the freshness, the vitality, the strength, the anointing, and the power of God's amazing spirit. So, yeah, if you are a believer, you are a Pentecost person. And, you know, I say this. The reality is there's no church without the Holy Spirit. You can have tradition. You can gather in a building with a cross on it. But if you don't have Holy Spirit, you're not really the church. And when the Holy Spirit does come upon the people of God, guess what? The atmosphere changes. And God reveals himself, and people are touched by his presence Jesus is revealed in signs and wonders. Believers, believers get courageous in their faith. And man, I'm all about that. I don't know about you, but I just say, Lord, let's, let's enter into all of that. And I do believe that the world needs to see a church that is set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And it's happening right here. It's happening in this room. It's happening online. It's happening in, in groups and Jesus is just doing it. So today I want to talk about something that's really burning in my heart for the series that we're in, uh, the Greater Vision series. It's something I, I felt needed to be on this Sunday. And I want to talk to you about the atmosphere of heaven. So you can turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. And while you're doing that, I just want to explain what I mean by atmosphere. I'm using the word in a certain way. I'm not using it according to its scientific, barometric, atomic sense, though there may be some overlap, likely is with that, but I'm using it in another way. A couple of dictionaries define atmosphere like this. It is the pervading tone or mood of a place, a situation, or a creative work. It's also described as a surrounding influence or environment. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the environment, the atmosphere of heaven as it intersects earth. And I really do believe that we're living in a moment when people are looking for this. In fact, they, they should see it because Pentecost continues to happen. I heard a message from Cindy Jacobs on this 
a while ago, and she said, you can use my message. So I took her half of her title, and I added three points to it, and I'm going to share what's on my heart with you today. But I want us to see in the Bible how God reveals himself. You know, God just, again and again, he reveals himself to people who want to find him. It's through his breath. It's by his spirit. The wind of God, the breath of God, the presence of God, the glory of God, all reveal to people what God is like. And when that revelation comes to you, it is a moment of atmosphere. So how do we engage the atmosphere of heaven? How do we encounter it? How do we walk in it? Well, three things I'm going to share with you. The first one is this. There is an invitation to encounter the atmosphere of heaven. God actually invites people to discover him. He's the kind of God who's like, if you want to know me, I'm here. I will reveal myself to you, but you better pick up the invitation and you better come. So in Exodus chapter 3, we have this invitation moment in the life of Moses, this amazing passage. I want to read just a few verses for you today, and here's what it says. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. By the way, apparently, I actually researched this, there can be spontaneous combustion in the desert where things just start on fire. I've read that. I've never seen it, but apparently that can happen. Maybe Moses had already seen that once. But then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. He was mesmerized by this. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. This invitation comes to a guy out in the desert He's been out there for 40 years, we know. He's left Egypt. He tried to save his people by his own strength. It didn't work. He made a big mistake. He murdered an Egyptian. He's on the run, and he's out there in the backcountry. Any of you hikers like the backcountry? You like to get off-grid? You know that feeling when you're really far away from civilization? That's where Moses was. I think he was running from his past And it's out there in the back country that Moses gets this invitation to an encounter with God. And the atmosphere of heaven is all around that moment. Bush is on fire, and then the angel of the Lord encounters him and speaks to him from the bush. Moses, Moses, don't come any closer because where you're standing is holy ground. And Moses realizes that he's in the presence of of the God of heaven. His life pivoted right in that moment, and good thing. And it's in those divine setups when we are able to receive from God a whole revelation, a new revelation of what he's like. Moses probably thought he knew the God of the Hebrews pretty good. But now he's having that face-to-face encounter. And if you remember what we read there, he said, You know, he couldn't look at God face to face. Interesting, because later on in his life, he would. Exodus 33, verse 11 says he was able to commune with God in a face-to-face way. God would reveal himself to Moses with that kind of transparency. It's an invitation to an encounter. And I think we've got to recognize those moments when they come to us. God speaks to Moses and says, I've heard the cries of my people. I am sending you as their deliverer. And I think what that means to us is that when you have an invitation to encounter God and you do encounter him, it's so that you get an assignment. It's never just for you. It's always for others too. 
Moses receives the assignment. He responds fairly well, and his life pivots. Man, oh man, there are those moments when life needs to pivot, right? You're going this way. Deep down in your heart, you're calling out for God to reveal himself, and then something happens, and unless you have eyes of faith, you may miss the invitation. Can I be real with you? I have missed invitations from God many times. And look back at them later and go, oh God, in that year, you were trying to do this. You were trying to show me yourself in this way, and I I totally missed it. Aren't you glad that God is generous with his invitations? He keeps bringing them to us. I think even today, some of you are getting an invitation from God for an encounter with God that you've never had before. It's going to happen. You got to recognize the moments when they come. It's like when Philip meets Jesus in John chapter 1 and he's convinced, we found the Messiah. So what what does Philip do? He goes and gets Nathaniel and says, hey, Nathaniel, come and meet Jesus. I, I believe he's the Messiah. And Nathaniel's sitting under a fig tree, probably fulfilling some prophetic act, probably aligning himself to the cry of Israel for God to send his deliverer. And Nathaniel says, ah, I don't know, like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And those little words come up there out of uh, Philip's mouth, come and see. Come on, just come on. Give me a half an hour with you, I'll take you to Jesus, and then you can decide for yourself. So Nathaniel goes and meets Jesus, and as he's encountering Jesus, the Lord says to him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus says to him, I saw you under the fig tree. In other words, it was a revelation, a prophetic revelation, an image, a word of knowledge, a vision. How willing are you to be on that pathway where God will encounter you? Have you heard his invitation to you recently? Because guess what? He is inviting you all the time to a deeper encounter with him. When I think about all the encounters I had, wow, I just categorize them in layers now. Uh, the invitation to know Jesus for the first time was huge in my life, powerful conversion, saved in a hotel room in Gastown in Vancouver at age 19. Big, 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 big moment. Huge. Then later on, a call to ministry. Huge moment in my life. An invitation, which took a year and a half to process. Confirming signs, attending it, and then God saying, don't do this, do this. And then other moments in my life, here, in this region, in this city, God's saying, time to go deeper. Yeah, Lord, but I've been going like this. He's like, yeah, that's fine, but that won't work anymore. It's time for you to go to a whole other level of encounter with me. And saying yes to those invitations. One of them was in 2014, when a friend of mine said, this is an invitation for you and Marianne. We want you to come to something called a Holy Spirit Encounter Weekend. And I'm like, I know about the Holy Spirit. I've written papers on the Holy Spirit. I preach a little bit about the Holy Spirit back then. And my friend said, you just need to come. And it was the way he said it that bugged me. And I'm like, what's going to happen if I go? He said, well, let's just say people who go to these things, most are radically changed. So my wife and I went there in 2014, and we got radically changed. Things we already knew suddenly became very, very powerful and clear to us. And it began a whole new direction in my own life that I'm still on today. I wake up so flippin' hungry for God, I'm like, where does this come from? And I hear the Lord saying to me recently, I'm looking for people who ache for my presence. I'm looking for them. I don't think he wants any watered-down versions of Christianity anymore. I don't think he ever wanted that. And I think the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro in the earth, searching to see whose hearts are fully devoted to him. He's looking at you. It's an invitation. Is it possible that we could miss those moments, those burning bush moments? I think so. And maybe if you're like me, it's because I get too busy at times, or I forget, or I doubt that that's God. (laughs) Because I've already got a category for that kind of thing, and... And God's like, no, don't discount me. Let me reveal myself to you in a way that you've never seen me before. Isaiah 45, 15, it says, truly you are a God who hides himself. 
Man, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. Truly you are a God who hides himself. God seems to hide. But he's also easy to find. Why don't you just show yourself, Lord, to everybody all the time? And why do people have to go on this journey of seeking you? I think part of it has to do with he wants to know the motives of their heart. He wants to reveal himself to those who really want him. I think that's why Jesus spoke in parables, right? Remember when he was teaching, he had these stories, and people were like, I don't have a clue what he's talking about, birds of the air, like, you know, seed on the ground. And, and his disciples said, why do you talk like that? Why do you teach like that? He said, so that hearing they may not hear, seeing they may not see, unless it's their time. Right? Unless your heart is like, oh, I'm longing for God. Then you'll understand stories that Jesus gives because they'll be revealed to you. God is not insecure. I mean, it's not like God's up in heaven going, I'm so lonely. If only a couple more million people would just pay attention to me, then I'd be validated on my emotional journey. I don't think he's saying that. I think God hides himself so that we might seek him, and when we discover him, his goodness will flood our lives because our hearts are going in the right direction. The Bible says it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings to search out a matter. God does hide things not from us but for us. So what's he hidden for you? In the area of vision, what has God lined up for you that he's like, come on, keep pressing in? You're like, Lord, show me. And he's like, I will, but I want you involved. I want you pressing in. I want you to really, really seek for my ways in this. I like the purpose statement that Jesus gave to all of us. And, you know, if you're ever wondering, what do I do with my life? I have the answer for you from the Bible, Matthew 6, 33. You don't have to go to the bookstore and buy five books on writing a purpose statement for your life. You can. There's value in doing that. It's helpful. But here's a better way. Jesus said... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything else will be added to you. That's the invitation. To seek him first. His kingdom, his ways, his righteousness. And when we do that, all of a sudden things come back to us. Things are given to us. Things are, are tilted towards us by divine favor. So I'm going to say there's an invitation for all of us here today on Pentecost Sunday, come on, to have an encounter with God. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but it's true. It's true for every gathering of every group of believers. You're standing on holy ground. It's not just an old song that we sang in the 80s. Anybody remember that one? It's not just part of the repertoire. It is biblical revelation right now, whether we understand it or not, see it or not, feel it or not, we are on holy ground. That's why when, when Moses encountered the Lord in the burning bush, one of the first things the angel says is, take off your sandals because the place you're standing on is holy. Well, how come I don't always notice that? How come I don't always figure that out? There is... Those other verses in the Bible, right, and on, the, on the topic of God revealing himself, Isaiah 6, he has the vision in the temple, the prophet Isaiah sees the angels of the Lord crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Really? I thought glory was just in heaven. No, the whole earth is also full of his glory. We need an invitation to see it, to discover it, to encounter it. When you say yes to your invitation, the atmosphere of your life is going to change in a radical way. It's going to be awesome. Here's the second thing. After invitation comes immersion. There's an immersion experience with the atmosphere of heaven when God is being re revealed to you. And I think the person I want to look at here is by the name of King Saul in 1 Samuel 10. I love this passage. Kind of 
missed by a lot of people. The story of King Saul is he was the first king of Israel. He was, you know, the people's favorite, if you will. Um, God interpreted the request for a king as an insult. You know, he wanted to be the king directly of the people. He said, fine, we'll give them a king. So God says to Samuel the prophet, it's going to be this guy, Saul. He's handsome, he's tall, comes from a good tribe. Saul has been chosen, but he's reluctant. He's a little fearful of the assignment. Nevertheless, Samuel anoints him with oil on his head. And Saul is beginning his journey towards ruling as a king. And then we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 10 at verse 9. This crazy atmospheric encounter that happens one day. Here's what, it, here's what it says. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him, Saul, another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. <laughs> and it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? They're like, what? Saul's prophesying? He was in the atmosphere of the prophetic, and all of a sudden he gets prophetic. Ah, okay. Is that just old covenant? No, that's new covenant too. Paul talks about this to the Corinthian church, right? And you gather together. Some of you are going to have a word of knowledge. Some of you are going to have a word of wisdom. Some of you are going to have uh, a song. Some of you are going to have a revelation. You get into the atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is at work, and suddenly that atmosphere immerses you into it. And you might find yourself moving in a realm of gifting and in expression that you previously have not ever had happen to you. It's wonderful. God sets us up for that. And I just encourage you, step into those moments when the atmosphere of heaven is happening around you. You know, people are meeting God. They're, they're praying. They're receiving visions. They're receiving dreams. Hang out with them. Spend time with them because it might draw you in. It's an atmosphere thing. It touches your life, and then you can share it even with others. And then there was the atmosphere of the day of Pentecost. Wow. I, I just, I mean, this is Pentecost Sunday. We got to read it, guys. We, we just have to read it, right? It's Acts 2, 1 to 4 time. We got to read it on this day. So I'm going to read it for you here. These four verses are monumental in what they are saying to us about how God is actually working right now. Here it is. When the day of Pentecost had fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, say suddenly. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. By the way, they weren't being consumed by that fire just like Moses wasn't. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Crazy awesome atmosphere. The sound of a rushing mighty wind coming and filling the house. Tongues of fire on their heads. That's big time atmosphere. They get baptized with the Holy Ghost. They go out from there. People from all around in Jerusalem, they come running over like, what is going on over there? We heard the sound. We didn't know where it came from, but we know something's up. And in that setting, the believers come out. Peter preaches the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he says, this is that. This is that which Joel spoke about. That in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That day is perpetual. 
that day is ongoing. It's not like Pentecost happened and it's over. It's still going on. It happened there in Acts 2. It's happened every era in human history since. Until Jesus returns, we can expect a continuous outpouring of the Holy Spirit all the time upon the people of God. It's a great atmosphere to live in. It's the only atmosphere for the church. And I, when that happens, you've got you to see this. There's wonder and amazement. Acts chapter 2 at verse 43, after Peter's message, it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. One of the manifestations that happens, one of the results of the atmosphere of heaven is the fear of the Lord. And I want to talk about that just for a brief moment. Because I think we're living in a time when the fear of the Lord is coming back to the church. And it has to come back. The fear of the Lord, if you look at it biblically, it's not just like one day we go, oh, I think I'll fear God. You have to be invited in to really walk into the fear of the Lord. It would take too long to explain that. But when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, we're not talking about cringing before God or cowering before God. That's what his enemies do. That's the posture of someone who's not in alignment with God. But we are his children. We're his sons and daughters, and yet we're supposed to fear the Lord. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, I do believe it contains awe and reverence and wonder and a sense of contriteness of heart where we realize if I'm going to walk in the presence of my God, if I'm going to step into a relationship with him in which his spirit is flowing through me, I've got to be in alignment with his righteousness. Oh. There's a price to pay to walk in the fear of the Lord. Psalm 2 verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with fear. Ah, you mean like terror? No, contrite, surrendered lives that are in awe of God and overwhelmed by his greatness, power, and majesty. Serve the Lord with fear, and then it says rejoice with trembling. Okay, how in the world do you do that? Have you ever, like, rejoiced with trembling? We rejoice in the Lord, we praise him, we exalt him, we celebrate him, we bask in his goodness, that's awesome. Need to do that, that's fully biblical too. And yet there's another way that God is looking for us to worship him. And it's in that phrase that we are to rejoice with trembling. Rejoice in the Lord and tremble. You know... Is that the kind of God that's being worshipped nowadays? Does anybody tremble before God? I'm asking myself that too. Do I ever really tremble before the power of his majesty? On the day of Pentecost, they stepped into that and even more wonder and amazement. Happened in church history as well. People like Evan Roberts of the Welsh Revival it was said of him that he was so struck by the presence and power of God that he, he just he got knocked out. They'd have a big church service. They'd have a whole bunch of people there, hundreds of people, and he would just fall down for a long time. Like, what do you do? Like, they didn't have, like, videos and stuff. Like, you just wait. The trembling fear of the Lord, I believe, is coming back. And I think it has to come back because Jesus is preparing a bride for his son, or Jesus is preparing a bride for himself, I should say. The Father's orchestrating all this. Jesus is returning for a bride that is spotless. It's going to happen through the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord shows up in the city of Ephesus after that great turning to the Lord in Acts 19, and then Paul leads them in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then it tells us later on that the believers came forward and burned their scrolls. What scrolls? They're occultic scrolls. See, they had been tagged by the demonic realm. 
they were into sorcery, and that was just normal in Ephesian culture, and they became believers. And then after they had been baptized with the Spirit, they realized we can't hold on to this stuff anymore. We've got to burn our scrolls. And they burned them in, in the village square somewhere in downtown Ephesus. It rocked the city. And it tells us that the word of God went out from Ephesus to all of Asia because of that. Okay. So I'm thinking, how does the word of God come out of where we are here in this region to all of Canada? I think it might include the burning of our scrolls. Do you have a scroll to burn? Do you have something from your past that has perhaps tagged you with an enemy strategy and he's just got a little hook in you and it's keeping you from your full kingdom serve? That might be your scroll to burn. Making a break from it. Burning it in the name of Jesus. Being set free from some stronghold. I don't know what it might be, but it it could be a religious spirit, it could be family sin patterns, it could be self-centeredness, self-reliance, it, it, it could be fear of man, it could be your view of money. You know, we, we encourage a revival culture to be built in our lives, and I would say this, revival includes what we do with our money. If we can't tithe, we're not gonna walk in revival. It's impossible. If I can't trust God for 10%, which he says belongs to him, I'm like, and I want all these things to happen through me, God's like, hey, let's let's get the foundation straight here. First, I need to be Lord over your money. First, I want to be Lord over your bank account, your wallets, and everything you own. It all all belongs to me, he says, especially that top 10% that is not yours. That's, That's for me. And when we just step into those things out of obedience and faith, God starts showing us, okay, now you're ready for another level. Now you're ready for, you know, starting to run with the horses. Now you can receive greater things because you're focused on the things that really matter. Am I preaching too hard? I hope not. Okay. Love all you guys. You know that. The atmosphere of heaven is descending upon us. And I didn't write this down in my notes, but I want to say it to you. Last summer, I was on holidays in Manitoba with Marianne. I'm sitting on the deck in our cottage, and I hear the Lord say to me, write this down, and I I hear him say, I'm gonna send five waves of my presence over Kingdom City in the next year. Five waves. So we've been keeping track of that. Staff and I have been keeping track of that, and we think four have happened. The fourth one was April 23rd, Sunday night, when Hannah Dumaine from Quebec was here and led us in silence to kneel before God. And the presence of the Lord hung on us like dew. We're like, oh, okay. If that was number four, we're ready for number five. And once number five is gone, we're ready for number six. It is our normal life to live under the outpourings of the presence of God. And I want to move to the last point here, which is, talked about invitation, then secondly, immersion. Third is impartation. I want to go there and wrap this up here in a bit. And when I'm talking about impartation, most of the time we think of impartation through the laying on of hands, right? And we should, because it's biblical. We lay hands on people for healing, for the release of spiritual gifts, for blessing, for the empowerment of the Spirit, for commissioning people into their kingdom assignment. We need to do that. The laying on of hands, the, probably the most used way of impartation, but the Bible shows us that some impartations can happen without the laying on of hands. You're just in the atmosphere, and it happens to you. You're just in the right place, and the Spirit of God lands on the back rows more than he does on the front rows. You know what I mean? It's happened to me. I, I've gone to meetings, revival meetings, and sat in the back because I'm like, I'm not so sure about this. And God met me more there than the people at the front. <laughs> at least it seems so. It's in the atmosphere. God is never going to fit into a box. 
God is never, ever going to reduce himself down to a Sunday morning encounter only. He, he just won't. And he will wean us off of religion furiously so that we can walk every day in his presence. Impartation. I want to say this, that one of the most dramatic healings that have ever happened in our church has happened this week. Some of you don't know that. Keely Van Vlack. She's probably watching right now. Yeah, Keely. Ten days ago, we get the text. She had surgery. She went to septic shock. Uh, Toxicity's flooding her body, all her organs, everything. They called her husband in and said, "Um, this is really serious. Call your family. Your wife's not going to walk out of here. Gary texts us. We start praying. A whole bunch of people. On Wednesday night at 1130, I got the text. I was on a retreat. And we started praying. This is not going to (laughs) happen. This woman's going to get healed. And we started pressing in. Many of you. Texts went out. Intercessors activated. Praying for Keely. And the next morning, her husband anointed her with oil on her forehead. She was fully intubated, fully sedated, out, he anoints her head with oil and her eyes pop open. Yeah. Far from over the experience, but that was the sign that we were looking for. And we went, well, now we're really going to go hard here. So the prayer thing got going. Many of you have been praying. She had a very great uh, surge upward the next day, then kind of leveled off, then a little bit backwards, and then I think somewhere around Monday night or so, another great turn of events happened in her body, and I got a text from them. I, just yesterday, I was texting Gary, like, how is she? She was sitting up in her chair, off the machines, smiling. I phoned Gary. He put Keely on the phone. She's like, oh, you have no idea how thankful I am for Kingdom City family. You have no idea what God has done is so great, so powerful. That's an impartation. It came out of this church. You can't pin it on one person. And there's another church that was praying. Stetler Church was praying. People in Quebec were praying. Her family was praying. By the way, once she... uh, Got half better. She, uh, she led her friend to Jesus with a whiteboard, with a little whiteboard. She couldn't talk. She's still pressing through, so let's keep praying for her. But man, this woman is alive. God can do anything. Acts chapter 3, we read the story of one of the great dramatic impartations that have happened in the early church. It's one of my favorite passages. And it says this. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. Can you say Beautiful. Beautiful. To ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. It's kind of a strange thing to do, isn't it? Hey, look, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. I give you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That word rise up is a resurrection word. Arise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them. Walking and leaping and praising God. It's a tripartite healing. He's walking, he got a physical healing. He's leaping, he got an emotional healing. He's full of joy. He's praising God, that's a spiritual healing. 
This is a full-on, complete restoration of a human. And it rocked Jerusalem. All the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who was begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with, here's the atmosphere, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow. Invite our worship team to come up. Here's a guy who's 40 years old from birth. They kept bringing him to the, to the temple area, to the gate beautiful. They can, at least he can beg for some money here. And, and he's asking for the money. He's asking for a handout. 40 years. He's never walked in his life. He's never experienced what you experience all the time. And because of the power of Jesus Christ in the atmosphere... And because of the anointing on Peter and John coming out of that upper room experience and the immersion of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they look at him and they say, I don't have gold or silver, but what I have, I give it to you. It's an impartation. It's a release. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. You've been given everything. The fullness of the gospel is in you. It is possible for you to lay hands on anyone and have them healed. It is possible. It's all been provided. And I picture this guy, you know, I just picture him. You know, uh, don't, you want me to get up? Peter's too impatient, right? He's like, all right, I'll just help you. I'm like, come on. Lifts him up. I would demonstrate it, except I'm too old to do that right now. What that guy looked like. But man, he's walking, he's leaping, he's praising God. And everybody around goes, what in the world is going on over there? It's an impartation. The atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven invaded that place and that person's life. Now I wanna let you in on a secret. I found this out from listening to a message from Daniel Strickland who quotes from Bob Eklund's book on this. He says, archaeologists have looked for the beautiful gate. You know, archaeologists, they find a lot of stuff in Jerusalem. They have found a lot of things, but they have never found the gate beautiful. Never found it. Possibly it means that it just got missed. More likely it means there was an understanding that people had that if you stand there in that spot, something from heaven will happen to you. The word gate means a rushing in, an opening. And the word beautiful means graceful movement. In other words, it's a portal. It's a place of divine activity. The Celtics would call it the thin place where the veil between heaven and earth is so thin you can pull from the other side into your life. So it's not about a physical gate. Everybody said it's called the gate beautiful but there's no gate there. And yet, Peter and John full of the atmosphere of heaven walk by and go, we're going to solve this right now. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Igero, rise up and walk. And he walks, and his life is transformed. There is an anointing that can come upon the people of God that produces breakthroughs and impartations. In Micah 2, verse 13, it says, the one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. It's an impartation. The atmosphere of heaven can break out anywhere at any time. Can I just remind you guys of something? What does the Bible say about gates? talks about gates a lot. Psalm 24, it says, lift up your head, O you gates. It's you. 
lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. You're the gate. You carry the presence of the one who came into this world to right all wrongs. You have heaven's capacity within you through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is possible for you to be used of God in such a dramatic way this week that the angels will cheer in heaven that you stepped out and did it in the name of Jesus. It's his power. He gets the glory. You're the human vessel. Heaven is here touching us right now. The atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven is in our midst right now. Sensed it all morning. And I don't really know what God's going to do here in the next moment, but I know he's going to do something because his word never comes back void. His word will always produce something that he intended it to produce. So let's pay attention. We'll respond and we'll say yes to that thing that God is doing. Is he calling you to experience something different that you've never had before with him? An invitation to a deeper walk, perhaps, to a new encounter with Jesus? Is he preparing an immersion experience for you where you just suddenly the atmosphere of his kingdom rounds out around you and blesses you? Does he want to do an impartation to you so you can be an impartation to others? Let's stand together. It's a good day today. Thank you, Jesus, that there's no more normal church. It's you. We came here for you. We want you to reveal your glory. God, I pray that in these next few moments you would reveal your glory. I pray, God, that you would stir up our hearts to encounter you right now. Those of you who are watching online, let your heart get stirred up in faith. And I believe that God is as powerfully at work in the back of this room as he is in the front. And so no matter where you're sitting, I want you to just by faith imagine that there is a canopy around you from heaven. The presence and power of the Lord is here. He's here to heal. He's here to fill. He's here to set free. He's here to bind up the brokenhearted. He's here to give breakthrough. Because he did it all for us, Jesus. Completely done. The work of what he accomplished on the cross gave us that victory. Let's just lean in. Let's sing this together. Just step into this song. Sing it over your life. to him.
Okay, well, I want you to pray with me. This is a moment for you to receive something from heaven. This is a real moment. By faith in Jesus, receive from him what the kingdom is giving to you right now. Just say, Lord, I take it in Jesus' name. I take it in Jesus' name. I want it. It's been given. I receive it in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for it. I take it into my life. I take in, Lord, your strength. I take in your breakthrough. God, I take in the revelation of who you are that I, I have not yet seen you like this before, but I receive it now, Jesus. I take in your healing, God, your healing in my body. I thank you, Lord, for breakthrough. I thank you for what you're giving me, Lord. You're strengthening me right now. You're pouring out your spirit. Jesus, we praise you. We praise you that you're at work. We praise you right now. I praise you, God. I praise you for what's getting released. I thank you, God, that you've sent angels to assist. People are receiving from you today incredible gifts from heaven. Thank you, God, for the atmosphere of your kingdom. Kingdom come. Kingdom come now. In Jesus' mighty name. I just want to know if you feel like you've received something from the Lord today, would you just wave your hand? Yeah, lots of you. God bless you. Father, I pray that everyone here would be touched by your presence and your power, that we would fulfill our assignment, Lord, after being invited to encounter you, that we will go out and find someone to bless. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hey, ministry team, would you guys come on up here? We just want to make a time of prayer available to you. God bless you guys. Stay strong in Jesus. Love what he loves. Hate what he hates. Worship him. We'll see you again next week.